<laughs> I feel like I haven't talked to you in a long we time. We haven't talked about us. We've talked about other stuff. We haven't talked about you and I and what we're doing. Yeah. What, what have you been up to? You're just going to throw it out like that to me real quick? Are we? Are we? That quick? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just right there. I don't even I know where we left off. Saying. Go for it. I thought this was brand new. So <laughs> We're trying to disguise the fact we recorded two episodes yeah, in the same but, day. No, That's the first it's time fun, we've done this. Because we're new. already feeling a little bit loose feeling good yeah but this is the catch-up episode so we gotta recall and bring the listeners up to speed on what the hell we've been doing in our shops for the hiatus that we've been on which has been a listen i agree with the people listening right now it's been a pretty long hiatus but yeah we've had a lot of stuff going on in our personal lives uh we've been busy my mother-in-law passed away from stage four pancreatic cancer. Sorry to hear that. It was a hell of a battle and it was very tough to see and go through, but that's just reality. And I know a lot of my personal time had to be there to support my wife. And it's more than just a mother-in-law to me because, you know, I grew up without a mom. I grew up with a single dad. I have a weird childhood. I was adopted and then my parents split. I know I'm getting deep. I know this is our catch-up episode, but I know I'm an deep. open book, right? This is who I am. And, you know, I never grew up with a mother figure. My wife's mom was essentially my mom, and she had passed, so it felt like uh, my parent passing, right? Um, not a mother-in-law passing, oh. and it was very difficult to go through. So that's kind of explains the extra long hiatus that we had just because there was a lot of stuff going on. And uh, I know you had a few little things going on with, with you as well. I don't want to say little things, but you had things going on as well. And uh, it just made sense to reconnect at the time of the expo when we had no choice but to <laughs> come back together and uh, play in a lot of stuff. <laughs> and that's where we're at now. Yeah. I mean, uh, obviously that really sucks and it was a lot for you to go through. And then as soon as I, f I felt like every time you were in a place where it would work out, I was yeah. not in a place where it was a good time. And so, but that's life, but you know, right. Hey, we're here now. Yeah. We're, we're just like everything, you know, the best you can do is try and, and try to and get for the people listening. We don't get paid. We don't get paid for this. <laughs> right. You <laughs> don't make right. any this money is... off this right now. <laughs> as my right buddy now puts we're it, recording and it is midnight. My time. We just started this podcast, right? And I got to go to work tomorrow. Yeah. So for you people listening, uh, acknowledge the amount of work we put into this and just be happy <laughs> that you're getting some sort of content right now. <laughs> As one of my friends puts it, um, this is one of my yeah. free jobs. <laughs> but free it's job. worth it because, again, I feel like uh, we have a duty to educate, entertain the enthusiast, the installers, the salesmen, really anyone that has any sort of passion within this industry because... Yeah. 
I mean, you know, if you think back when we when we started doing this, the whole goal was to right. help consumers, right. right? And and help them understand what how to recognize whether they were taking their vehicle to someone who knew what they were talking about and were going to give them a real positive audio experience. Which I will say a lot of inquiries that I get nowadays, a lot of people will just start off with, hey, I'm a listener to the podcast. So for me, that that's the checkbox done because the whole reason I wanted to do this right. is because every time I talk to a new client on the phone, I before I felt like I went through such extent to educate where if somebody says they're a listener of the podcast, I can already assume that you have a good education on the talking points that I would have in a sales pitch anyway, or, you know, educating you to bring you up to date to make an educated decision. So for me, that's exactly what I was trying to do because I spent so much time talking, educating, and going through that whole thing of what makes audio great. Therefore, we could then start with a budget and expectations and things like that in a sales pitch. Yeah, and it is exciting to where I, I'm finally to the point where I don't even feel like I have to really explain a DSP to most of my customers and they're on board and they get it and they, I don't know. So I've, I'm just happy to be in that position where there's there's people that know, yes, this is the right way to do it. Yes, I want a DSP. And it's also car. great the amount of people that aren't on the podcast that know nothing about it that like in people talking to me, I mean, there's been just a few clients in the past couple months where they're that key demographic that I typically get where they're 40 to 60 and they competed in the nineties and they grew up in car audio and they want to reestablish that memory of what they had in what they have today, which is a car that's not that easy to work on. Right. You know, literally probably say four, four or five people in the past couple of months in their inquiry email led off with that. Yeah, I used to compete in the 90s and it used to be like a big part of my life and my passion. And those people didn't know anything about the podcast. So like them listening to the podcast and getting to hear the people that they looked up to competing um, while learning and education and audio to bring them back up to speed in today's audio is like the perfect podcast for them right now. So it's been, it's been good. So that being said, um, I'm trying to think where we left off. Um, I'm scrolling through pictures right now as we chat, uh, trying to see where we left off knowing that the last. So I had a few, in, uh, I, I, I know that I talked about the Chevy Nova, which, um, Yep. was one of the last cars that I talked about on the podcast. And I just got a, a text from them. They were at the, the Autorama show in Detroit. And they oh, yeah. said that yep. they had so like, they had so many people around their booth because they were the only classic car that was like playing audio, like really good audio. Right. Oh. So they, they gave all right. demos all weekend and they said that it was like a smash and it showed That's well. Awesome. And obviously a lot of old codgers got to hear some really great old school audio. <laughs> and uh, 
Old Wait, cottagers. What was that word? <laughs> so that was good. And then after the Nova, I'm not sure if we talked about it, but we did a Pontiac Firebird. That was the same kind of ordeal, but this was a lot more from the ground up. The the client actually bought the car sight unseen in Ohio. He was from Texas and it got chipped to me and the interior was just poops magoops. It was terrible. It was yeah. salvage, if that, to where he didn't really understand what the interior shape was in. So it was like a reboot from scratch. But to stick to budget, we had to do more of like a OEM refurb. So we had ordered parts from like uh, Pontiac Central or Firebird Central or whatever and just kind of rebuilt off the OEM interior and then kind of did our spin on the interior with the center console, the trunk, the audio, had a really high-end audio system, sounded incredible for you know what the car was. And that was that job. And then after that, we did a Lamborghini Urus. From a design standpoint, I'll say it's probably my favorite designed enclosure that I've ever built. That car just when I when I see those yeah. cars, I yeah. think of you. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, the, yeah. the lines in that car just yeah. scream Maddie. So Schaefer, I said to like, the guy, right you know, when he brought me the car, I said, This car just speaks to me because if I like if I was a designer where I didn't have to play off somebody else's work, I would be very Lamborghini, right? I'm very hard lines where yeah. lines intersect with other lines. That's just my design style. And that's kind of like why I like Tesla so much, even though Tesla doesn't, Teslas are not designed like Lamborghinis. Teslas have very actual little design on the interior. So you're kind of forced to create your own design, if that makes sense. So that's kind of the design yeah. that I've created every time I do a Tesla. Every time I do a Tesla, it's very futuristic, hard lines. Um, and that is also... Lamborghini, especially like the, uh, the Urus when you look at the interior. So that enclosure I knew was going to be like fun. It was going to be easy and natural. And I, again, just one of the beautiful things with drawing in a spire versus before when I did everything analog and I didn't draw on a CAD program, I was kind of forced to stick with the design once I started building it. Right, because you don't have the time to remake parts and be like, "Oh, the line actually would have looked better if it went here versus here," because you have a lot of time invested, right? So, right in Aspire, I got to really play around with the shape and bring so many different elements of the inside of the car into this enclosure, along with the different materials, to really make it feel like it was a true Lamborghini enclosure, and. You know, if you guys haven't seen the pictures or whatever, uh, I do have a YouTube video up on it. If you go to YouTube, just probably type in Matt Schaefer Lamborghini Urus and it'll probably pop up. But that'll give you a walkthrough on the job. But it was two downfiring Utopia 10-inch subwoofers. And the you, you didn't see the subwoofers. Everything was obviously downfiring. The whole front was aesthetic with some lighting elements that look like the door sills and things like that. But, you know, if you haven't seen it, check it out. Really cool. After the Urus, we had a Ford Bronco that was pretty straightforward. This is kind of like when Aaron, you know, my helper, who 
I now have a helper that does a lot of the bass wiring, the sound treatments, the speaker installations, mounting of the amplifiers. And then I'll come in and do the aesthetics and then the tune. That way we can kind of scale a little bit and get more cars in. So when I'm starting to do the aesthetics and the tune of one car, he's already tearing apart the next car, getting it ready for me to do the aesthetics and the tune. So that's how we attacked the Urus and the Bronco. Aaron helped me on both. And the Bronco was kind of the same thing, repeat client, down firing. It was, I want to say it was three 12 TW3 subwoofers in a down firing enclosure. Nice. Um, Helix V12, Focal Kevlar three ways. And then we did the eight inch JL Marine pods in the back on the rail. I had to make some aluminum brackets to mount them, but he wanted a party mode because he has a lake house and he parks his Bronco down at his lake house and he wants to jam. So I basically had a preset where it was heavy on the, the rear pod speakers. And then I basically then kind of high pass the subwoofer so it could jam, but fill in some of the lower frequencies. So that was really cool. And then after that, we had a Tesla Model 3. And Tesla Model 3 was a pretty big project. Guy, like our demographic that we talked about, he is a podcast listener, so he's probably listening to this. He competed in the 90s. He sent me some pictures of his car and magazines back in the day. Obviously, took pride in a lot of that, right? So he has a history in that. He has nostalgia in that and wanted to recreate that now with the car that he has, which is a Tesla Model 3. So we started that, I'd say like mid-December, late December-ish. And there was a lot of requests in the fact that he wanted to see inside the subwoofer enclosure. He wanted lighting. Obviously, because he competed back in the day, the uniqueness of the installation was important to him, right? He didn't just want something standard. So we had to do a few things that were very different and stuff that you don't see in a general install, right? So I've only done a few enclosures to which you can see the inside. Obviously, that always sucks from an installer point of view because like everything has to be finished and For me, I can't just do like an acrylic window with just like an all suede inside, right? So we did like (laughs) a stacked layer enclosure to where, and it was very thought out. So like the middle layer was actually the brace of the enclosure, but it did a few things in design to where we use the Utopia M 10 inch subwoofers and they're dual voice coil and they don't have like the push terminals they have like the spade terminals so to make it look clean is very difficult so i had to create something to where it would hide the wiring and the wiring was like tucked back on some eye hooks bolted down to where you can't see any of the wiring and the brace was made to one brace the enclosure make it stronger it created a pass-through so there's a bunch of openings in the like the grill material that we created for air to pass from the front to the back. 
And then on top of that, it was a big design element. Like it was the focal point of the trunk. So did everything we needed to do. And of course, I always get so convoluted in layers to where just like the brace had like <laughs> six layers to it. Like if you really break it down. Um, oh and the whole inside was Alcantara suede. I mean, it was a beautiful enclosure. Again, if you haven't seen it, check out the YouTube channel. Both sides were finished. So even the opposite side, like the side towards the back seats that you that you wouldn't see, that was very finished and had a lot of trim, was very layered. I mean, just the the subwoofer rings was like seven pieces of three-eighths acrylic with chamfers oh, on each layer. So it looked like, like a turbine. But like the whole thing was finished, the subwoofer enclosure levitated over the amp rack, which the amp rack was like eight layers or something like that with a bunch of lighting. So lighting everywhere, layers everywhere. And of course, a lot of function where he had a spot for his charging cable. You could easily get to the batteries and all the fuses. And pictures are always deceiving because when he saw it in person, it's like you had a full trunk. Like in the pictures, when you look at pictures, it's very deceiving. You think there's not a lot of space, but when you look at the trunk, it's like he has all his trunk space because the subwoofer enclosure is tucked far back underneath. So he was super stoked. It was our first time using the Moscone Pro 430, which sonically is unbelievable. Having a, a decent reference on a lot of music, there was a lot of different things that just sonically was different. And it, anytime that I do a car and tune it, Every single person of our shop, even the sales girls up front, like every, when I say everyone, I mean everyone. So sales girls, people who aren't installers, just probably 15 people or so, every job listens to each car. And it's good for me because I get the accurate feedback of like, this reminds me of this car, or this reminds me of that, or this sounds better than anything I've listened to. So it gives me a good gauge on where we're at with the car um and almost everyone said like in the first five seconds of playing playing the audio that it was just different right and a lot of that obviously the class a 430 but quickly to realize i had to take a few additional steps so if you're listening out there and you're you've installed a 430 obviously any class a amp or any, or any class, any a, class amplifier, a amplifier, you're going to have to have a little bit more ventilation. So I had the, the 430 amp tucked underneath a piece of acrylic. Half of it was open, half of it was not. But there was enough space for air to ventilate, you know, where the fans are built into the amplifier. So I had to end up putting four fans, two push, two pull. But again, that's also overkill, probably. But I used four computer fans, small computer fans, to basically move air, push, pull next to the amplifier. And that that ensured that I didn't have any issues moving forward in a normal working scenario. Because um, the amp did go into thermal maybe an hour and a half into playing it pretty hard. But again, Class A amplifier you're going to run into those issues if they're not just like completely open. I mean, that's, that's one of the things I try to always say everything in audio mm -hmm. is a compromise. You, you don't, you don't get 
everything for nothing and you're going to make a trade-off and one of those trade-offs on those class a amps is heat you know they're not they're not efficient and they they put out a ton of heat and there is a sonic difference my my question to you is when you hear something like that and the sound is Mm -hmm. different than a normal ab amp and you hear that do you think that that is distinguishable that difference between those two amps if you were driving down the road it's 65 miles an hour do you think that's still a distinguishable difference and is it a a tonality thing i've always heard it described as warmth so a a few things there to somebody like me who has a real reference who critically listens absolutely right i can hear the difference going 60 miles an hour down the road and that's assuming that you have enough sound treatment in the car where the car actually is pretty quiet driving 60 miles an hour down the street. Right. Let, let's say that it had a mid-grade. You, less noticeable, but still noticeable? It would still be noticeable. Obviously, the the key always here is here when we talk about reference with anybody. Reference is always the key because, again, if you know what something should sound like, you're going to understand the difference. If you don't, are JLC ones on a basic DSP with D-class amplifiers is going to sound fucking amazing, right? So it all comes down to reference. If we're driving down the street 60 miles an hour in a Porsche 911 Turbo, it's going to be less noticeable, but I'm still going to understand the difference. The normal person, they would have to know what the better version sounds like to know that it exists, therefore to know that there's a difference. So if you're asking us, yes. If you're asking the typical person, no. But the typical person, if you were to A, B, compare the two, yes. Right. Right. So, I mean, fair enough. when you're talking about like uh, in the higher frequencies is where you're really going to notice a lot of the difference, you know, sliding on a guitar, just the start and stop of everything. It's just way more notable than your typical amplifier. The, The 430 was extremely special and we've done some you know Moscone zeros in the past and things like that where again everything is compromised right so you're talking about real estate versus something smaller the Moscone Pro 430 for its footprint is amazing but like I said the amp does run hot even if you're not playing anything but that goes for any class A amplifier because the rails are on hundred percent of the time you see you see using more in the future is what you're saying for sure but with more planning involved of ventilation to keep it cool because again anytime that i've ever created anything i want to make sure it's bulletproof like i've I've done demos in cars and some cars don't have a lot of headroom period i like my cars to jam to where you can completely be fully immersed in the music and rage against the machine on tilt and you're feeling every bit of that right i want that out of anything that i do therefore any equipment that i do i'm going to work more than i would think most people would so i want that stuff to be bulletproof and that person to listen to it for six hours and not have an issue but yeah great amplifier just know that and, and i think a lot of it is we've been spoiled of great functioning equipment with a small footprint and we can like tuck them behind any panel with no ventilation and not have any issues. 
So I think there's a little of that there where yeah. if we were building the same system in the mid-90s, you would have already accounted for heat where we don't have to anymore. Oh, right? yeah. You would have had yeah. huge real estate. And, yeah. No, I mean, the car sounded incredible. Just the, the subs, the Utopia M subs and realism you get out of those subs is just so stupid. And that goes for... And what was I've it? Was done it two, two Utopia M two or three on the last couple builds? So I did two Utopia M tens on the Model Three, on the Urus, on the on the Firebird, on the Nova, and all three of them have the same tonality and realism. In and it comes out most, and it's weird to say in the YouTube Tiny Desks. Like if you listen to like the Usher Tiny hmm. Desk concert. The sub in that in that recording, th- there's nothing like it, right? Because it hits notes that seem unrealistic, but it's real like you're there listening to that drummer in person or the bass guitar in person. And it's weird that most recorded audio doesn't have that same effect. I don't know if it's a placebo because you're, you're watching it happen versus you're hearing it happen. But it just seems yeah. like the those lower realistic notes are much more defined in like those tiny desks. It's it's very weird. All right. Well, what else? What's what what so, after the Tesla? After the Tesla and the Tesla came out great. Again, just to recap that Utopia M three way front, eight mid tweeter, factory rear, Helix DSP Ultra. DSP. Repeat that. Rear speakers. Factory rear speakers. Factory Factory rear. rear. Even the great systems are getting factory rear speakers if it's a new car. What uh were they power what were they powered off of? A Adamo 2 Moscone, which is the Pico 2 replacement. So that's a little amplifier that can basically fit the palm of your hand. And then we had a Moscone Pro 210 on the 8-inch Utopia front mid-bass. And then we had the 430 powering the front mid-range and tweeter and a custom A-pillar and sail panel. And then Adam O2 on the rear speakers and then two 110s on each uh, Focal Utopia M10. Nice. And we had two lithium batteries to supplement. And then we had our whole fusing and distribution network. The next car is the Chevy Callaway Camaro, brand new. And this is my first car doing all Brax. Mm. So Brax amps, Brax DSP, Brax front three-way, six mid-tweet. And then we're using Blam speakers for the rear. So it's a full MSC build. And that, at the moment, is coming, moving along swimmingly. He is kind of the first car where the guy had a like a theme for the build where generally I'm just building to make it look OEM to where it's either showy or stealth or a mix between the two. This one, the guy kind of said up front, I I really dig the Joker from Dark Knight and I want to theme it around the Joker. So the concept that I'm doing is you're going to feel like you're driving the Joker's Callaway Camaro. Oh, that's cool. It's not going to be gimmicky. It's not going to be cliche or 
overbearing with detail. It's going to be more subtle detail. Obviously, the Callaway Camaro is going to have carbon fiber. It's going to have Alcantara suede, you know, that charcoal Alcantara suede, the red stitching. And the car came with like this red, like super bright red vinyl, which looked terrible. So that's the first thing I like it so strikingly bright. You're saying on the seats and everything or inserts? Not the seats. So the seats are black charcoal Alcantara suede with the perforated Alcantara suede. And then it has just very subtle, small stripes of red, which is fine. But on the console, on the door panels, there's these big, bright, like red vinyl panels that just look awful. So what we ended up doing is we took that bright red panel and we made a two-piece insert to where the top of it is the matching charcoal Alcantara suede with the red top stitch line. And the bottom part is red Alcantara suede that we put in our laser and we use the ha-ha-ha font of the Joker and we roster that into the Alcantara. So it gives the feeling of that subtleness of like the Joker without saying, hey, this is a Dark Knight theme build, right? right? So that's really the extent of the branding, I guess, of the car. We also ordered some kind of like movie props overseas from the movie. Oh, wow. So we have blue, like actual blueprints of the, I guess, the cycle that Batman drove in the movie. Hmm. And it's like, you know, white paper, the blueprints with the motorcycle on it. And in the back panels, when I make them, I'll probably have some sort of elastic strap in there with the blueprints in there to where you can just barely see the, you know, the bike. So it's like the Joker's intel on Batman. Right. That he has tucked in his car. We also have the Joker card that he has, which that's just going to be placed like in his sun visor. So when he flips it down for the first time, like the actual Joker card from the Dark Knight will fall out, awesome. um, you know, just to make him slap his knee a little bit. <laughs> and then wait, I have what if he hears this. I don't think he's a podcast listener. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. And then I have uh, two faces coin like the actual coin that I'll figure out somewhere clever to put it. And then we have like the vote for Harvey Dent button that I'll put somewhere in the car, but we'll keep it classy without going overboard. Cause again, just because you can, doesn't mean you should. Right. It's a tough, it's a tough line to draw. And that's getting a radar and laser system as well, which Aaron did. And obviously the front grill and that thing's so aggressive, which was very hard to draw, I know, for Aaron, and he did a great job. He knocked that one out of the park. The system in that is really cool. And the license plate frame, instead of saying like Porsche or Camaro or whatever at the bottom, we did like the ha-ha-ha print around it. And then when the license plate isn't on, so like, yeah, if the license plate is not attached, there's a, the Joker face where the behind where the license plate would mount on the acrylic. So just like small details. But again, when you're doing a build like this, right, it's all 
bespoke and one off and yeah. that's what you pay for, right? You pay for something tailored so definitively for that car. Yeah. I mean, that's just, you know, you're not buying those parts off the shelf. And Yeah. yeah. Everything's made. I, I can't wait to see how it sounds and see how it compares to, you know, what I've listened to on the other sides, right? And then following that, we have a Lamborghini Urus and a Tesla Plaid, same client from Scottsdale. And when I planned this out, we kind of had like an open idea of what we could do on each car. So one car is getting all Orca, one car is getting all MSC. So one car is all Focal Moscone, one car is all Brax. That way, maybe next year at the Master Tech, I can have a car in the Moscone booth or the Orca booth and one car in the MSC Ah, booth. Nice. Nice, See, I'm a lot smarter than you thought. (laughs) (laughs) I don't doubt you, sir. I do not doubt you. So that's that's called up for my upcoming projects and where we're at now. Wow. That's a that's a lot. That was a lot. That was a lot. It was a lot of time that 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 passed. Yeah, my um I've been flipping through pictures the whole time that you got us caught up and and looking through just trying to refresh my brain cuz we've been in so many different directions and you know, we we finished up our big non-car audio project at the end of last year and we went to work on the shop for a little bit we we took almost two weeks to kind of reorganize and clear out we had we'd taken pretty much one half of our whole shop dedicated to an assembly project for a car manufacturer and it was it was a cool project to do and um, one of the things that we couldn't go into too much detail about but it's it's all done and gone now so we had purchased a new laser machine, a bigger laser machine. And so we got that all installed and the evacuation system for the fumes in and got rid of a few 3D printers and got a few new 3D printers and just kind of reorganized, built a lot of storage for hardware and miscellaneous parts just to kind of go into the new year with a little more efficiency. I don't know if we had talked much about the Defender project that we were doing in previous episodes, but we have a Defender that was kind of a, you know, it's been a little longer term project than we wanted it to be, but we rebuilt the whole top of the dash um, where there's usually just a tweeter in the top of the dash. And we did a Morel point source driver in the top of the dash on each side and then did two Morel Nano six inch mid base in each of the seat pedestals so that they fire forward and kind of load into the footwell on each side. And then another set of Nano point sources up high in the rear and two Utopia M10s down fired and a couple of Helix amps and built a center console. And um, apparently I made Alfredo, who's our, uh, our upholstery guy next door, is that but Chip Foose's guy? It, it's the same guy that Chip uses for a lot of his stuff. And he's he's in the shop next door to me. And I've done a couple of these defenders for another client that uses another very talented upholstery guy. And I've always heard, like, nobody wants to wrap these dashes. And so when he was in the middle of templating it, I went over there. And there's, like, 28 different pieces to this template that are sewn together to wrap this dashboard. And with just some of the craziest shapes and he, he absolutely nailed it. It's beautiful um, with mm. some 
you know, deviated, you know, red stitching on smooth grain black leather and just you are so lucky i know bro, to have a good like not even a good a great upholstery right one of like the that. best yeah yeah it's <laughs> i'm so jealous everybody's like hey i got a laser hey i got a cnc hey i got a badass upholstery guy next door so um when we talked to chip did you did you talk to him about your like the upholstery guy that is well no i see right i mean chip's Chip's next door all the not I don't want to say all the time, but Chip's uh, so over there a lot. So he comes over quite often. Yeah, yeah. Well, not I mean he's oh, stopped shit. through a couple of times, but yeah. Hopefully more now after uh, Master Tech. But yeah, um, yeah. So uh, we're finally. <laughs> just, it's one of those projects where there's so many little details. You know, like we built the gauge cluster from scratch, and then we had to like make our own defrost vents, and then we had to shave out some other vents that the Alpine radio now kind of blocks because we wanted that G-Wagon feel of the big screen sitting up high in the dash. And, you know, just all these little detail things when it comes down to the end. So we're our checklist is pretty much through. And uh, we're going to, I'm going to tune that thing tomorrow. And then it's just waiting on a couple, there's four little pieces, a couple shift boots and a couple little pieces of carpet that need to be bound on the edges that, um, hopefully Alfredo will get those knocked out in the next couple of days and hopefully that thing will leave at the end of the week. And, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'll take some pictures of it since I never take pictures and post anything. I was, I was looking at my Instagram the other day and I'm like, yeah, I haven't really posted much in the last two years, but we've been, uh, we've been busy. So, um, it's good to see that one wrap up, uh, the crazy project. I don't think I ever really talked too much about, um, I kind of left it vague, because I wanted the owner to be able to, to share. And that was that crazy old forties, uh, Chevy project that was getting the TAD horns and the, the 10 inch Bama's and the kick panels with the Moscone pro 210 on each one. We ended up with five utopia M tens with a pro 110 Ooh. on each one. Oh and yeah. Then, I remember the picture. Yeah. And then, uh, that also got a four thirty that's going to be bridged on the TAD horns. So it's definitely mm. going to have power. Again, that that truck's a long way from being done. We just wanted to get it in and get all the hardcore metal work and welding and grinding and get the box mocked up and make sure that we could get it in and out of the cab. You know, it's a it's quite a monstrosity with five tens in it to get it in and out of the truck and in a standard cab truck, right? <laughs> and it slides into wow. like a cubby behind the seat. So uh, that's back with him and and they're going to finish up the metal work and start the body work. And then we'll, we'll see it back at some point for some trim panel work once it's, it's all uh body worked in. So that left, um, we just, uh, did a C10. Um, we did a, a C10 with four arc audio arc eights behind the seat. And then we used the Stevens audio high efficiency, six inch mid bass, and the kick panels only came out from the sheet metal three quarters of an inch, maybe one inch. And we did the, the high efficiency six with two uh, peerless tweeters on each side. And man, did that thing jam. We did the, the Museway wow. uh, M6 DSP and then the 1,000 watt amp on 
four four eights behind the seat, and it just can we establish cranked. that you're not affiliated at all with Miesway? I'm not, but you know what? I, <laughs> I feel like here's what I feel I'm, like you have a deal on the side that you're just not talking about. I don't. I wish drop Miesway. I wish I would have. Um, you know, uh, Stephen Bach, who you know used to be with Chris Power Bennett Base. is hearing this and just smiling ear to ear <laughs> right now. Now well, that he's with Museway. You know, it it was Stephen Bach before he passed away that was importing Museway into the U.S. And it was actually Sage that turned me on to, to that introduced me to Stephen. And I'd met Stephen before when he was at Powerbase. I'd forgotten about it, but that's but Sage was the one that really made us connect. Is Sage and I had both been hunting for a very value based, you know, DSP product that we could put in you know, systems where there just wasn't the budget for a, you know, two or $3,000 worth of amplifier in DSP. And when I stumbled across it, I was very leery. Right. And then we started putting them in stuff and they worked really good for us. And, um, mm. again, there's a lot of value there. So Steven passed away and, um, the family didn't continue importing Museway and now there's a new importer and that's who uh, Chris Bennett's working for. And it seems like they're, they're getting their name out there finally. And I, I like to think that, you know, maybe I helped give them a push here on the podcast and made some people aware of them, but we, we still use it. We're still putting it in cars. Um, again, we haven't been doing as much audio in the last year as, as we had would have liked to do since we were focused on those other projects. So when you say value, are you equating that to like reusing a PPS tip? For like poly primer. <laughs> oh god, that's a bad inside joke right there. Um, there is value in reusing a PPS tip. There's probably more value in a Museway amp. <laughs> With that, I'm taking a sip of my cocktail. Man. That's fun. Love you, Brian. Ah, oh, poor Brian. I don't use. I don't reuse PPS tips, Brian. I know. I know. He's not listening to this, so, so that's okay. Fair enough. And if he is, I don't, I don't reuse PPS tips. I'm, I'm sure he's well aware of that now. <laughs> That's probably only funny to Matt and I, but. Um, not funny to Brian. Not funny to Brian. So, yeah. So, so I'm not getting paid by Museway. Uh, I just think that if you have a system that you can't afford to go. Silly with? Yeah. That, that you're not trying to go crazy with, but you want. Uh, good solid DSP function. I mean, it's there. There's a few things missing. Again, I can I can find fault with every DSP out there. Give it to me. I'll find something wrong with it. That's what I'm good at doing. And there are a few faults, but you know what? I've I've used way worse, and um, I like the interface, and I like the I like the product. So it is what it is. Yeah. So I mean, I I know you're not a sports guy, but like, if you're a Cowboys fan and you like the you like the idea of a good regular season team and <laughs> you're losing me. Yeah. And I'm, I'm probably upsetting the people at Museway too, by using oh, this analogy just because the, you know, the, the Cowboys never do much in the playoffs, but I mean, regular season they're they're really after it. Okay. Right now I get it. Great, great regular season team, but you know, postseason not so much. <laughs> Just to be clear, I don't know a lot about Museway. I don't have a big uh, bank on Museway, so I can't speak to this. But just what you were saying, the analogy just reminded me of the Cowboys. So Fair enough. sorry for all you Cowboys fans. Fair enough. Um, 
we did another um, another vehicle. We did a brand new Forerunner that had the third row seats in it. And the customer, it, it's kind of a strange one. Customer came in and really didn't care, care about the third row seat, but wanted the flat floor in the back and gave us the whole back end of it as long as we could. he could still pile stuff on top of it. And we did two Arc Audio A10s, their new shallow 12-inch woofers off of uh, an Arc X2 650.1. And then we used that new Blackbird amp. And I got to tell you, for the size and the power... Wait, bla- did you say Blackbird? Blackbird. You're giving me Alpine vibes. I know. This Trust me, this is this is not anything. <laughs> is it better than the Alpine Blackbird? Um, getting stabbed in the neck with a pencil is better than the Alpine Blackbird was. And I worked there when that product came out. Um, it was, I got to say, on the list of the worst, it, it's kind of like the Pontiac Aztec. You know, if you, if you ask people what the most beautiful car ever made was, they, they all have their opinion and their answer. And the one undisputable thing is that the, you ask, you know, if, if it was, um, uh, family feud and they said name the ugliest car of all time the number one answer on the board would be pontiac aztec <laughs> right so if you had to ask people what's the worst alpine product ever made the number one answer on the board without a doubt is the blackbird navigation unit you know what i just now had an epiphany much like i did last episode with the guy with the shoes right i didn't do the cocaine out, yeah figuring out the guy's shoes always seeing the shoes in, in the street, wondering where they came from, now realizing that it came from a drunk person wandering into a bar late at night. This episode, the Blackbird was so bad, right? The unit didn't work. I forget what model number, maybe a 205 or something. Something like that. It didn't work because the Blackbird was so big and it docked in the unit. So you had all this space not being used to make the Blackbird work properly. <laughs> Right? It was just like a big open area. So it didn't even have the intel available <laughs> in the real estate to make the, the Blackbird work. That's why it didn't work. Well, hey, luckily they've moved on. <laughs> so you, you're you not an ARC audio dealer? I'm not, no. Okay. So ARC just... Con- I like ARC. ARC's good stuff. Yeah. I mean, they continually surprise me. This Blackbird amp is small and reminds me... They should, like, being in car audio, they should have named it something different, though, if I'm being well, honest. They're- like, if we were in a board meeting with ARC, and they're like, what do you think of the Blackbird? I'd be like, <laughs> be like no. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> Anything <laughs> Let's but... Let's name it something different. Let's name it a Robin or a Raven. Let's right. name it something different. Right. Um... Super powerful, you know, it uses their same GUI and same uh, base DSP of their other products. And, you know, my biggest knock on some of the compact DSP amps now is that they are not bridgeable and they only make power, decent mm-hmm. power at two ohms. And that is one one feather in the cap of Museway is that all their amps all their dsp amps are bridgeable Here we go again well i'm just saying i i, I, I don't, swear to god we're gonna lose subscribers left and right oh if gosh. people find out that you have any affiliation I, at all i do not way. i do not um because but, for the people listening 
for the people listening, we are not a sponsored podcast. We're not. And even though we do this for free, we could make money, but that comes at the expense of being able open... to talk shit on exactly. things like the Blackbird. Exactly. <laughs> so if we were sponsored by Alpine, we couldn't joke <laughs> about the Blackbird, right? Um, so when dealing with those compact DSP amps, and you, you find this from all manufacturers, right? All the compact mm-hmm. DSP amps, they stay to rated power, but they don't necessarily punch in that class, right? They're not punching at the class of an amp that has a big power supply in it. And to combat that, being able to bridge channels and have more power available is often, excuse me, a very good way to go. And some of the smaller amps are not bridgeable. And so that's one thing I really like about the Museway. It's one thing I really like about that Blackbird amp is that it was bridgeable. And we did exactly that. We bridged it on the mid bases up front, two channels to the tweeters, two channels to the rear, and uh, then the subwoofer amp. And it was like a rocking system. Uh, Focal mm-hmm. Flax mid bass and a big home audio tweeter in the, the factory dash location that played down to about 2K. And um, just, you know, a, a really nice jamming system that looking into the, the truck, you didn't see any of it. We were able to fit both amps into the passenger seat and super clean and and you'd never know we were there until you turned it on and then you definitely know somebody was there <laughs> um that's you can bridge the jl vxi yep but you those are also not bridge. not as compact though those are yeah those they're are not as compact a little bigger you can't you cannot bridge the helix right yeah which is my biggest gripe with helix yeah i did just spec a system today that uh, I think we're like, I was just putting, finally putting it all together. I think we're going to do it. Um, I think probably next month we'll get to it um, where I use the new P six ultimate and it was mm-hmm. designed to run one and two on the tweeters, three and four on the mids and five, six on the rear fill, then did mm-hmm. a P two for the front mid base. So it's got a, ton of power on the mid base yeah, it's nice. and then the p1 on the woofer and it just kind of fell into place that way and i'm like this mm-hmm. is a this is a solid setup and we're gonna have plenty of power on tap we won't we won't even but be at pushing the same the point hard. you know the helix amps if you run like a dvc sub you could run a smaller sub dvc all on one amp if you wanted to yeah the other We've side of a it few times the other side of it too is with their new speaker program they will have two ohm uh mid bases in six and eight inch i believe mm-hmm. and so that's a that's a good combo because it will pull did you listen to that porsche i didn't i heard Expo? really good things about it it was pretty silly it was definitely the most surprised i was listening to anything at expo so i did granted granted everyone knows i don't listen to a lot <laughs> just because i can't hide my thoughts but um the porsche sounded absolutely amazing and i think that Larry had more magic than he let on of what was actually going on in that. Well, one one thing that I believe is that I believe that the factory in dash subwoofer was still hooked up, mm-hmm. even though the the driver wasn't replaced, and it did use their new eights in the doors. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so I think that's one of the things that that factory little woofer can kick some tail. It's kind of that a thing weird had setup, so but... that thing had so much attack up front. Yep. Yeah, and it was like non. 
zero resonance, yeah. which was surprising. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a well-built car. Those doors, though, those doors do like to really, really flop yeah. around. Yeah. But it sounded really good. Yeah. I'm excited that they have a eight-inch option. Yeah. That isn't priced at the Utopia price because, from what I carry, Illusion filled that void. But for the people listening, Illusion is kind of like on a hiatus, if you will. Yeah. Let's call it shelved. That's the way it was explained yeah, to me. It's, it's shelved. shelved. So there, there's been issues at the manufacturing plant where the product was being made. And maybe I'm not being 100% accurate, but to my knowledge, the original manufacturer, there's an issue with it being reproduced. So at the moment, they either have to find a new manufacturing plant or wait until there's resolution. So right now, like Gary said, it's shelved. It's not discontinued. It's not gone. It's not sold. It's just there's a hiatus with yeah. it being produced. You know, it breaks my heart every time I go to, like, I'm specking a system or I'm looking through stuff and I'm like, oh, you know what work really bitch in here is a C12XL or a C12. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, oh, darn. Luckily, I bought a lot before it, you know, went away. So I have hmm. a good inventory. Good to know. <laughs> Good but I'm running low on C3 CXs, so don't ask me. Uh, I have a pair of C3 non-CXs if you need them. Oh, I could have used those on the car that I'm doing right now. Oh, well, I got them if you need them. Um, yeah, and and also, uh, finally, after everything else is cleared out, we're going to make a run to get that long, 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 long-term project of the Camaro wrapped up hopefully we'll get both the camaros feel, done I, about the I same like, time i feel like we talked about that on season one <laughs> <laughs> probably did i'm sorry oscar i love you brother <laughs> but we're gonna do something cool and uh yeah that car is so cool so so good get that wrapped up and get on with it have you any secret projects where you've worked on any celebrity cars or had any run-ins with celebrities or I, you just live like the rock star trying, life i feel like you're always running into famous I'm people trying to think have these crazy stories i was trying to think and look back if there there hasn't been too much um there is the super secret project at the shop that i'm not quite ready to tell the world about some people know about oh, something yeah. okay something that ended up at my shop that'll be cool um that will that'll fit in well at the expo Hopefully, hopefully it'll be at the expo next year. <laughs> hopefully, you all get to have some fun, fun projects at the expo next year. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll get to that in a future episode once we cross a couple hurdles. Need a couple things to fall in line, and then I can let the world know the super secret stuff. Hopefully, this uh, this year we can get back on my wife's comet and get that thing running and driving for her too. <laughs> that thing's been been put off for i don't know six or seven years but we're getting close but also hasn't been touched for seven or eight months <laughs> ah if somebody can figure out how to put more hours in a day please let me know i don't mind working them ain't that the truth yeah especially me i do all my own sales all my own install and then the whole adding aaron into the equation has 
complicated things in a good way, right? Obviously trying to educate him on expanding his skill set each car at a time. Yep. So like the ZL1 Camaro, he routered aluminum for the first time. Nice. He did his uh, front door speaker adapters out of aluminum in that one. And then we did the ha-ha-ha print with Searmark spray on the aluminum, which, again, it's just a detail you'll never see. Right. It's only good for a picture. Again, it's the bespoke nature of the build. But he learned, obviously, how to route aluminum, how to use Searmark spray. He drew the adapter in Aspire. So, again, expanding on his skill set. So the next car, he can do even more, and I can do even less. And I don't mean that in a way of, like, I don't want to do anything, but what's being asked of me at my shop is just, it's a lot. Yep. You know, well, sales, install. Are you guys getting to the point where you, you have or are going to have two projects running simultaneously? Or are you guys yeah, just yeah. both Yeah, so we do on, on every one. So as I was finishing up the Model 3 doing the aesthetics and the tuning, he had already taken apart the ZL1 Camaro. As I'm going to be finishing up the Camaro, he'll be taking apart the Lamborghini Urus from Scottsdale. And then any time that there's a void in work, like if he finishes up early, whatever it may be, I can schedule him radar jobs, things like that, that are in the pipeline to fill his schedule. Send him out to California to hang out with Mario. Yeah. 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 That was fun. Yeah. That was fun. I was glad he, uh, he got to see somebody else in a similar position so he could relate to someone. Yeah. You know, that's always important, especially for Mario, for Aaron, just for to see other people. And that's what's always important about the expo, right? So if like you're a business owner, obviously your employees are there to learn. But at the same point, what a lot of people don't realize is what is learned off the clock, right? So when they're in the bar talking to other people, they're understanding that the grass isn't always greener on the other side, right? That's right. important, right? Yeah. Everyone fucking has this idea that it's always better somewhere else. But when you go to places like this, everyone talks about their trials and tribulations and realizes that everyone has adversity and everyone has to go through challenges and has to overcome stuff. And they're like, Hey, Maybe where I'm at isn't so bad. Right. And the other thing I think is really cool is seeing people who may have been frustrated with positions they had or with with business owners that they worked for that weren't supportive in, in their advancement in the industry and mm-hmm. watching some of those people find new shops to work for and new homes where the owners are supportive and are supporting them to be at events like this and supporting their growth. Um, knowing that, you know, Hey, maybe this person won't be here forever. Maybe they will, but, but personal growth for everybody is important and realizing that you have the ability to learn, you have the ability to get better at what you're doing. And that even, even those of us that get up there at someplace like master tech and teach are still learning. We still learn every day and Mm -hmm. we strive to Mm -hmm. be better and better and better at what we do. Well, that's the thing. It's like the people who are educated are not educated by accident. 
they've sought that out to become educated. And it was cool because this, this was Aaron's first event to where we did everything together. He was behind the scenes on everything. And he got to see our classes develop, the behind the scenes of what needed to happen. He got to talk to people that he recognized as he was coming into the industry as well as they were coming into the industry. And he sees, you know, just for example, Aaron was, he was competing for rookie of the year at the time that Edgar from MTI, Chris Pate's guy, was coming in as rookie of the year. They had like this little rivalry going <laughs> as that whole thing was happening. And obviously because of where Edgar's at, his involvement in CAD and Fusion has developed crazy right. from where he was at four years ago. And Aaron hasn't, right? It's been just kind of stagnant. He just started working with me six months ago, kind of full-time on the mosaic side. And he understands now that like, if he wants that, he has to put in the time to make that happen. Right. It's not just gonna happen. He's not just gonna learn it. He's not gonna be paid on the clock to, to learn fusion. Like this is time off the clock that you have to put in to advance your skill set, which goes hand in hand with Chip Foose's keynote of saying, like, you're not going to get paid for it now, but you'll get paid for it in the future. Right. Right. You got to put it the time in now to learn the skill set to get paid in the future. You know, so for all the installers out there that are complaining they're not advancing or whatever, you have to learn off the clock and develop a skill set that's going to that's going to make you money in the future because you're going to have a skill set that not of a lot of other people have. Yeah, for the installers out there that that do want to learn, it's as simple as don't spend an hour flipping through Instagram and Facebook one night. Spend an hour watching videos on how to mm -hmm. either use some new software or how to tune a car or do that research. Spend don't don't waste that time flipping through pictures, right? Like the pictures aren't going to make you learn. They might inspire your builds, but mm -hmm. take the time to learn. Like set set that stuff to the side. I always love the you know it doesn't it doesn't matter how fast you can run up against the run up the ladder if it's not against the right wall. The, pick the wall you want to run up and then go up the ladder, and and just find something that interests you, and that know you know will advance your career. And whether that's system design or system tuning or uh, learning how to draw in CAD or learning more about a specific vehicle. There's so much out there to you, available to you now. Like, uh, mm -hmm. you know, when we were young and we used to have to stare at magazines and try to figure out, we'd, we'd read cover to cover every yeah, article. Reverse engineer. Yeah, everything. and then try to reverse engineer head. off of pictures. And that's all we really had. You know, there were some some training videos from select products. And, you know, if we had the amount of information available to us, we could have progressed this whole industry a lot faster. And mm -hmm. um, I wish I would have known about some of the things that were out there that I didn't know existed at the time. You know, I didn't, I didn't know about the AutoSound 2000 tech briefs and that kind of stuff early on. There's, yeah. Yeah. How I learned coming into this was obviously way later than you. Carl Audio Mag, the tech tips at the rear of the magazine. And it was more times than not, it was either Steve Brown 
or um, Installer Institute doing the tech tips yeah. of how to build something. And I would look at that and I would just study it and be like, okay, this makes sense. And then that made me want to go to Installer Institute. And then I saw Fish do his thing there. And then seeing somebody do an insert and an insert and an insert. <laughs> and it made me think beyond just one piece. Right. Right. Just one overall piece, knowing that I could do a piece within a piece and then a piece within a piece within a piece. And that kind of goes to like how we did our training at Expo. We started with a piece and there was a piece within a piece with a piece within a piece with a, within a piece and then using different technology to create the design and seeing all that come together, I think from somebody who doesn't know how is very important because you can see a picture all day long on Instagram, like Gary said, but unless you know how you got there, it's not helpful. Yeah. Right. It, it, when you say that piece on piece on piece, I, I think back to when you and I first worked together for the first time at mobile solutions on that, uh, console build off mm-hmm. and the, the way we did that side side insert with the, the multiple layers of mesh with the lit up section behind mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm, the light up mm-hmm. logo and the trim ring around it that was chamfered and that inlaid into the, like that was a ton of layers. And how many years ago was that now? I want to say it was yeah, five, was six, fun, seven though. years ago. And that was, that was the first time we worked together. And that was the first time I knew we were going to be a two man wolf pack <laughs> <laughs> because I've always been the type of builder that is always like a, I'm not sure how this might end up, but let's see what happens, right? So like being excited to learn from a potential failure and then realizing that you were the same type of mindset where you're just like, I think this will work, but I'm not really sure. Yeah, <laughs> so let's we'll, see what happens. We'll figure out if it doesn't. Yeah. Hey, maybe we'll, we'll, did we just yeah. find a thumbnail for this episode? Maybe a little yeah. shot of that, <laughs> little the console. side of that console. <laughs> console is silly. Yeah. That's so crazy. If only we could have hit every inch of that thing out of the park. Yeah. But hey, you but gotta, it was a little bit of time. You got to swing for the fences, dog. Swing for the fences. Yeah. No more T-ball. Yeah. <laughs> Not to mention we didn't have any kind of subtle, easy, simple design. We no. picked. We had the most complicated, convoluted, oh, yeah. uh, prototype design. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. It's yeah. Your buddy who was an Audi. It was, helped kind of like come up with a concept. No, right? I think that was actually Musa from uh, West Coast. He, oh, that does from the West, Coast Customs? West Coast Customs. He did yeah. that? Yeah, Musa's the one that did that one. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Crazy. Crazy how time flies. <laughs> that, was, that was a long time ago. All right. Well, I think everybody's up to date, at least for now. We have some more. We have another slew coming, but. I mean, guess you got a bunch of. Museway product coming up. Come on now. I don't have any Museway systems on the books. I'm going to do some of it. I can't even believe you're not wearing a Museway shirt right now. Oh my gosh. I don't own a Museway shirt. That was not an ask, Chris Bennett. Do not send me a Museway shirt. (laughs) I'm always wearing the Define gear. If I'm not in an Expo shirt, I'm in the Define shirt or a Tiki shirt or a Dixon flannel. Sorry. It's funny because we agreed this weekend, this past weekend, that we both have the same conundrum when we think of each other's uh, store name. <laughs> Anytime that you think of Musaic, you think of Musicar, right. just naturally. Right. 
And then anytime that you say define concepts, I think of define concepts, which is in Naples, Florida. Good old and Adam. Adam, where were same, our cards last weekend? Where yeah, were our same cards? Co- same color palette. But anytime that I think of your name, I have to like stop and then take 10 seconds to go back and forth of like, okay, this is Gary. This is Adam. This is Gary. This is Adam. <laughs> To make sure that I don't butcher the name. Yeah. All good. All good. Everything okay Okay, over there at Musicar East? <laughs> Musicar East. <laughs> That's a compliment. Northeast? I love me some consider, uh, Musicar. Do we consider you Northeast? Musicar yeah, if you're, in, uh, if you're in the Pacific Northwest and you're not using Musicar, I don't know what you're doing. Right. Right. They got... A lot of talented individuals. Oh my there. goodness! Crushed and, uh, it. Won won both the build off and the clean wire challenge at Expo. Yep. Tom Miller up there crushing it with the designs, crushing it with the golf swing. Who talented. won at golf? Who won at golf? By the way, I, I don't even remember at Top Golf. You were Tom. Well, the game was never complete. It got cut off because the game got when shut the, down. When the game 11. got shut off, you were behind. Is that is that what I'm sensing? I was behind one stroke, but I was still yet to swing. So I don't think we can <laughs> conclude that. Was there any sort of wager? I will not accept defeat from Tom Miller <laughs> oh, on fucking top call. Rematch, rematch, rematch. I take it seriously. Uh, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Two things you don't screw with your old fashions. And your oh. top golf. How was your old fashioned, by the way, at was, Expo that I made for you? Oh, it was delicious. Thank you. So Aaron had an old fashioned at a five star restaurant here, and he said it wasn't the same. And I was like, in my in my head, I was like, well, he definitely had a way better old fashioned at at the restaurant he went to. And he was like, wasn't as good. And I was like, really? Tell me more. <laughs> That's because I think bartenders don't tip the. Uh, the cherry juice into the drink. Yeah, that's <laughs> the, the that's extra huge. sweetness made it uh, easy for him to digest. I think. Yeah, probably. But <sighs> it's going to be a good season. Start out with Chip Foose Expo recap, shop recap. We got some silly guests coming up. Oh, it's going to be so good. Silly guests. We we do not shout ourselves out enough. We should say. Hey, go find the Old Fashioned Car Audio Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. We will try to keep you guys updated as we actually do. I, I'm going to say this is going to be our best season ever. I think we're going to have yeah, more episodes with Foose. and and yeah, better more guests. And better guests. Not to take away anything from the other guests, but yeah, I mean, there are some better guests. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. That's well, good. Here's to season and I feel three. Like, I feel like I feel like there's going to be some repeat guests too. Yeah, I think we're about that to that. We point. can get back into because I love I love debating. I love arguing. You know, Andy says it's not I a love de- controversy. A- Andy Waymeyer says it's not a debate if only one person knows what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> that's an Andy uh, thing to say. Yeah, but that's also a true statement. So yeah. I don't know how to take that. Yeah. Well. Um. Yeah, if you guys have topics that you want us to cover, anything you want explained or um, questions, and you know, we we have a pretty good list of guests for the next 
four or five seasons lined up. <laughs> um, but yeah, I know people dug the thirty-five hundred dollars system, which today would be a sixty-five hundred dollars system. <laughs> I'll, I'll, uh, I'll give you of inflation. Yeah, I'll give you fifty-five hundred. I still think fifty-five hundred is that that number now. But yeah, we yeah. need to step that um, game up and play again. We need some new topics to talk about on the exclusive Gary and I episodes because there's not much more catching up to do. We've already caught up and you already know my future projects. So there ain't nothing to talk about on this side of the mic. (laughs) Yeah. Well, except for, uh, I don't know, another year full of experiences and um, triumphs and maybe a few defeats here and there. We'll see. See how it goes. Yeah, but We are here to entertain you, to educate you and to give you the, history into how car audio evolved and i think that we're doing a decent job of that and uh can't wait for you to hear some of the upcoming guests because again you know chip foose is just the the scratch of the surface <laughs> come on i mean that, that that is a pretty big surface but <laughs> there are some banger guests coming up yep lots of lots of car audio history coming we're also combining the other side of car that we typically don't dive into, right? But everything at the end of the day overlaps. Yep. So there's other sides of the car industry that's out there that people are involved in, that people follow, that we'll get into. But like I said, at the end of the day, we're I think we all kind of started from the same place. Yep. Same places. So passion for uh, music and a passion for cars. Yep. Cool. All right. Well, I think that uh, I think that wraps it up. Sounds good. I should probably finish the last bit of this old fashioned here. Yep. Cue the music. Until next time. <laughs>